my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. And this is What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. Today, we will introduce you to Sally Krawcheck. She was the top woman on Wall Street. She's now an entrepreneur, and she has done so much for women in general, and she's just a really inspirational leader who's had an impact on my life, and Amy, I think yours as well. She definitely has. She's someone I've known of for decades, and Sam, this is actually the first time I've ever gotten to talk to her, so I feel really lucky. And the thing I love about this episode is that we focus on a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, and that is money. Women and money. It is, I I really hope, Amy, that eventually people go out to girls' dinners and instead of just talking about the men in their life, you know, or their romance, they talk about their relationship with money because it's the longest relationship they're going to have in their lives. 
I agree. And one thing I really love that we touch on is that we should celebrate how much money we make and how much money we want to make. I still feel bad talking about it sometimes, but I want to make a lot of money. Like it's a big motivator for me. And it's funny because when you say, I want to make a lot of money, you know, as especially as a woman, you are going to turn off so many people in the room. And one of the things I loved about this interview and was kind of surprised by was at the end, Sally's response to, do you care about being liked? And I think as women, so often, a lot of our motivation for how we behave or how we manage people is a concern about being liked. I agree. It's definitely something that's impacted me in my life. And it's interesting because the further I've gotten into my years, and actually also the further I've gotten into building my own company, I realize it's impossible for everyone to like me and I've just given up on it. I once heard a statistic that when you walk into a room, 90% of people will like you and 10% will hate you no matter who you are. And there's something heartening about that in knowing that there's actually no way for everyone to like you. So it's something you probably shouldn't chase. Well, let's hear what Sally has to say. I was sharing with Amy that the last time I interviewed you was a few years ago. You had one of the best answers ever on how to deal with getting fired. So I thought we'd start at the low points. (laughs) And then we'll just go up and to the right. (laughs) What did I say? Well, I just remember you saying that the feeling of opening the Wall Street Journal and having your name on the front page. Can you take us back there? No, I can take you back there. And then actually, Sam, it happened twice. So I can take you back there twice. And, you know, my view in life is you you can do one of two things when you're fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. One is to say this is so humiliating and embarrassing and awful and poor me. And the other is to say score front page of the Wall Street Journal. And if you had told me when I was a little girl growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, second to last one chosen for all the sports teams, (laughs) that if you had told me that anything I would do, much less getting fired, would be anywhere in the Wall Street Journal, much less on the front page, I would have done backflips down the hallway. I think it's basically means of recognizing, you know, my privilege, you know, to have had the opportunity to do something that that would get you that kind of recognition. That's obviously the perspective of, you know, 2020 and years later. But at that time, what did it feel like? (laughs) It hurt. It was it was embarrassing. I drank a lot to remember (laughs) coming home from being fired and um, my husband saying, would you like me to order some dinner? I'm like, I, I don't need any solid food. I need liquid <laughs> sustenance. But you know, Sam, I just never wallowed in it. Of course it hurts. And, and even today, I can sort of poke around at it emotionally and it hurts. Just like when my ex-husband had an affair with my ex-friend. I can poke around. That happened in my 20s, but I can poke at it and it hurts. But, you know, one thing I recognize that there were going to be other opportunities to be successful. And there are many opportunities in any given day. I just don't see many of them. They, they just wing, you know, go right past me, and I don't see them and take advantage of them. But that success might look like something that was different. But by definition, I was not supposed to be in that job. By definition. If you are being fired, you're not supposed to be in that job. It may be your fault. It may be somebody else's fault. But I, by definition, was leaving a bad situation and opening up opportunities to do other better things. 
You just mentioned success. You have done so many different things. What does success mean to you? So at one stage, it meant money. You know, I grew up in a pretty modest, middle-class household in which six of us shared a bathroom without a lock. And so there was a period of time when I wanted to earn money so that I could have my own apartment and, frankly, my own bathroom. And then there have been times, frankly, when it was about being sort of famous, where, you know, I grew up, I wanted to be an actress, and I know we're not supposed to admit that. I know that in our society, the drive for fame is like this shameful thing. But there was a period of time when I was a research analyst, when I wanted everybody to know I was the best research analyst in my industry. At this point, Amy, it's, it's about mission. It's about impact. It's about purpose. It's about taking the decades of experience that only I have, and as a woman, only I have, and using that to found Elevest with a mission to get more money in the hands of women. That's how we measure our success. So let's talk about that mission. That's a mission that my company is also focused on. Amy and I are so passionate about it. How do you think about women and money today? Yeah, differently from most. Um, So today, if you say the word money to a man, the words that come into his head, you say, quick, money. And he goes, oh, power, strength, independence. To a woman, you say, money. And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, loneliness, isolation, uncertainty. And we have received messages since childhood that have told us money's not for you, money is tacky, money is, you're not good at it, you're not that good at math, you're not that good at coding, for example, you're not that good at investing. Um, You're frivolous when it comes to money, so you're not very good at it. You spend it on silly, silly, silly things like fashion and lattes and shoes and whatever. Um, And as a result, you know, we have internalized these messages and think, you know, we don't talk about our salaries. There's no amount of money we make that we don't feel ashamed of. It's either too much And, oh, my friends, they work hard, too. I feel so embarrassed, you know, so weird. Or I don't make enough. My parents spend so much money on college. So we have this shame around money. It's sort of, you know, say it's a little bit like when I was in middle school. And being sporty, being athletic was sort of yuck. You know, you wanted to be a cheerleader. You didn't want to be athletic. That didn't get you a date. We've still got that for money, even amongst young women, that it's still acceptable and sort of cute for a woman to be bad with money. I'd love to say, if the men got together 200 years ago and said, how do we keep women from having full power? This is what they would have done. They would have made being bad with money cute, and they would have made looking for money and trying to make more money an unattractive feminine you know, feminine thing. Now, I mean, you've talked about your first marriage and how one of the reasons it broke up was money, that your hus- your first husband's career was plateauing, yours was exceeding, and you were making more money. Did you talk about money with your first husband? No, that would have been so tacky. And I, by the way, I grew up in the South as well. We did what so many couples at the time, and I fear too many couples today do, which is he took care of the money, the investing, the saving, the big expenses. The money that I took care of was more the budgeting, and then the social life. I was in charge of getting us together with our couple friends. So he was sort of the CFO, chief financial officer of the household. And I was sort of, you know, the treasurer, sort of the in and out of money. So when, you know, I discovered that he was having an affair at a point when I was, gosh, I I don't know how to trust you. 
And he was telling me there's just not that much money. I'm like, how do I even trust that? Now, this, what's really interesting about this is that, first of all, 90% of women manage their money on their own at some point in their lives. 80% of us die single. When we outsource that money to our partner, our spouse, an important person in our life, when it comes back to us, typically when we're experiencing grief, grief from a divorce or grief from a death, when it comes back to us, 74% of us have a negative surprise. And so that, for me, was a moment of, I can't let this happen to me again, and I want it to not happen to as many other women as I possibly can help. What is Elevest exactly for people who are listening and don't know? And tell us what kind of dent you're making in the women and money space. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm still trying to figure out how to describe Elevest. So if we'd been here um, a few months ago, I would have said it's a digital-first investing platform for women. But during the pandemic... We got so much demand for women for all things money, saving, spending. They want to make more money at work. They're looking for coaching. They're looking for opportunities to learn. So we added a whole bunch of new capabilities. And let me try this on you. I'm starting to describe Elevest as the first real financial wellness company built by women for women, where we've got the products that can be the solution starting with the only gender-aware investing algorithm and, you know, investment approach that exists with the savings as well, but also with the education. And spanning career, making more money, earning more money into how to save more and grow more. You know, I think we're unique in this, that for so many, it's either products or education. You know, it's either what to do at work or what to do with the money when you have it. I think we're really the first that really surrounds a woman or one of our allies when it comes to money. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In an ideal world, how does someone use LMS? So they, they go onto the platform, and what are all of the things they're using? Well, they can invest with us. You know, we, again, the only gender-aware retirement offering. Why does that matter? Well, it doesn't matter that much if you're a man because you typically, you know, the algorithm will say you earn more and you die sooner. matters tremendously if you're a woman because, unfortunately, you earn less, your salary peaks sooner, and you die later. So if you're not gender aware, then you could run out of money. So you can use it, you know, to invest with us for retirement or to buy a home or for a trip around the world when we're all allowed to do that again, you know, or save with us, spend with us. It really works to take care of the range of money issues. And look, you know, Sam, I I get it. I get it. While we were being taught as young girls that we're not really good with money, we were taught that four women was inferior and junior varsity. I get that some of the listeners are like, oh, I don't need something for women. I'm money gender neutral. I want the varsity version. I want the version for men. But just as Bumble, you know, Whitney Wolf at Bumble discovered that women want dating sites where they can make the first move. Or Jen Hyman discovered that women actually want to rent clothes as opposed to buy all of them. There are problems that women have that existing solutions, existing men were not solving we think Alabest, too, is the first that said, you know what, you know, on investing that trading Bitcoin, frantic buy low, try to sell high, watch CNBC. It's just women are staying away in droves and it's costing us hundreds of thousands for some women, millions of dollars over the course of their lives. What is one piece of investment advice you would give someone? So first of all, I would say the investing mistakes that you read about, investing mistakes people make are investing mistakes men make. The overwhelming mistake women make in investing is not doing it. That is the overwhelming mistake, that we keep our money in the bank and that we therefore lose the power of compounding. Compounding is when you invest your money and you earn a return, and then you earn a return on the return plus the money, then you earn a return on the return on the return on the return, et cetera. And we tend to wait to invest until we feel like we can get an A-plus in our PhD in advanced investing. Whereas the guys are like, whew, let's go. And they get the benefit of investing. And so some percent out of every paycheck 
1%, 10%, whatever you can afford to do. And it will, you know, historically will grow over time. One of the things that I've always admired about you through the years is that you have almost a tireless strength and optimism for a space that can be very defeating. I know even this morning I was at a, a board meeting where I was the only woman using my voice about the fact that there were all white men on the stage and some days I'm just exhausted by it. Yeah. How do you not get down? How yeah. do you just keep on going? Well, I do get down. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. I've walked around. I was talking to my daughter last night who's, you know, in her early 20s and her first job. And we were both talking about how we're walking around with, in my case, a pit in my stomach and in her case, a pit in her chest. And how do we work around the pit? How do we breathe into the pit? What are we doing to get rid of the pit? The pit always comes back. So for both of us, it's exercise. For both of us, I'm not very good at meditating. So it's not I'm doing it and there is no pain. We're doing it despite the pain. And it's a recognition that every day above ground is a gift. You know, it's not guaranteed. It's not promised. And I believe you make as much impact as you can in this time on earth. And then I think it's dark for a really long time. And so how do you make that impact and find that joy, sort of have fun with the fight? And I think for me too, the pit sort of goes away when I'm active and moving. And it's further a recognition of the privilege. I've been given a lot of gifts. I got to use them. And particularly me, Sam, because there are so very few women who made it to senior levels on Wall Street. So very few. And many who have have gone to do, retired, gone to do board. And that's amazing. But when I saw that women don't have nearly as much money as men do, that this in gender investing gap can cost women more than the pay gap, that the pay gap is moving in the right direction. The wealth gap, how much money we keep, is moving in the wrong direction. The pay gap, 82 cents to a man's dollar. The friggin' wealth gap, how much we keep, is 32 cents to a man's dollar. I see my background, and I see the ability to do something about it. If I don't do something about it, how could I live with myself? I couldn't. What is that pit? I just identify what what is yeah. causing the pit for you and for your daughter. We, we were talking about it. We don't know, because I was talking. We were... I was talking, I went to see someone years ago about it, and I was like, I have this pit. And she's like, well, what do you what do you think it is? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just this pit of anxiety. And she's like, well, no, what do you really think it is? I'm like, I, I don't know. And she, and the woman, and my daughter and I were laughing so hard, the woman said, you're, you're scared of death. <laughs> and I was like, I know, I'm pretty sure that's not it. And she's like, no, you're scared of death. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not scared of death. So I don't know. I, you know, I think it's just a long line of anxious people. My mother's anxious. I think it's just something we have and we live with. How do you operate with it? Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward when you have fear. And for me, it's not, I don't have the pit. I've got the pit. I go anyway. Speaking about Wall Street and your work on Wall Street, Sally, I was a financial services litigator before I started my company. And so I worked on Wall Street for Cahill Gordon. And uh, during the financial crisis, which was a fascinating experience, like drinking from a fire hose. And I was, I think, almost always the only woman in the room. And I imagine that that was your experience. You were on Wall Street for years, long mm -hmm. before I was, and just breaking new ground. I read in an interview where you said, there was nothing they could do to me at Solomon Brothers in the <laughs> 1980s that was worse than the seventh grade. So I think there's more there to talk about your childhood in South Carolina. But <laughs> what did they do to you in the 1980s in Solomon Brothers? I mean, what was it like being yeah. the only woman? It was warfare. And it, it wasn't even hidden at the time. It wasn't even hidden. It was Xerox copies of male genitalia left on my desk every day. Just like, whoa, 
and just, we're gonna throw so much at you. We're gonna make you work until three o'clock in the morning, right? We're gonna work till three, and then we're gonna go to a new, you know, to a titty bar and leave you out. And then we're gonna play golf. And I just remember like, I just, they're not gonna get rid of me. That is not going to happen. But I've gotta find a way to something somewhat different because I, I can't, I don't know how to play this game, right? I don't know how to take credit when I should take credit. I don't know how to take credit for other people's work. And so it was a throw it at me and I'm gonna find a way on Wall Street, not with you people to make it work. And I found my way to research, which at least you could sort of take a breath. And I found my way to a company, Sanford Bernstein, that celebrated diversity. I used to call it the land of, of misfit toys. But Amy, I'll tell you something else I learned there that has really stayed with me, which is you hear so much about the imposter syndrome. And then people say to me, do you have the imposter syndrome? I'm like, no, I don't. I do not. I do not have the imposter syndrome. And it's because I think I was there with those, those guys who were so aggressive, so hard charging, running so many major companies today. And I'm like, you're, you, you might be smarter than me, but you're not that much smarter than me. And you're not going to outwork me either. And so early on, I said, I deserve as much of a seat at the table as anybody does. I'll flip it a little bit. The rawness of it, you know, you got a little bit more mature. The rawness of it was gone. I got to be honest, there was many times that being a, the only woman in the room or one of few was as much of a benefit as a detriment because you couldn't forget me. You might not like me, but you couldn't forget me. And the combination of, okay, everybody's going to remember who I am. And secondly, where's the power? And on Wall Street, the power was having the numbers. In, a, in corporate America, it's having a P&L. But it was, I've got the numbers. And if you want to know the numbers, you got to come to me. So I became a chief financial officer. So the center, you know, the center of the numbers at the center of the number industry was my means of sort of growing my, my power. One of the conversations in my life that I'm sure you don't remember, but has had a big impact on me is I was sitting in your office years ago and you looked at me and I had just come out with my last book and I was so excited about it. And you said, that's great that you have a new book, but how are you making money? <laughs> you just raised a ton of money. Talk about the experience of raising that money. What was that like for you? Yeah, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I've raised a few different rounds of venture capital money for Elevest. And look, I'd say the first round was actually sort of easy. It was, you know, people who I'd worked with. I didn't focus on Sand Hill Road, Silicon Valley. It was, hey, I need X millions of dollars to really start to tackle the issue of why women aren't investing as much, aren't as, you know, don't have their finances in as good order as men do. And so I went to people I'd worked with in the past and pretty easily raise the money, seed the friends, the colleagues, and so on. And that's, you know, I was thrilled to be able to do it. And they said to me, I don't know if you can solve this problem, but we know you're going after a big problem and we know, you know, you won't give up. It was the other rounds that got more challenging when it did get a little bit more, let me get, to, you know, now we're raising enough money that we need to get to some more traditional venture capitalist. It was no fun. You could just sort of feel that you don't look like what I'm used to thinking about for an entrepreneur. One, you're a different gender. Second, you're not 26. And nobody says it, mm -hmm. but you can, you know, you can sort of feel it. And then you could feel the different ways 
that this, these, I don't want to say sexism, but sexism, the inherent biases would come out. For example, almost every meeting, you'd be sitting there and someone would say, oh, Alavest, working with women, engaging women with their money, and blah, 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 blah. What if a competitor gets in? You're like, okay, so let's be clear that there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of multi-billion dollar investing firms, wealth management firms, asset management firms, et cetera, serving mostly men, where I've just shown you that the percent of men users is like 80, 75 to 85%. But half the population with $10 trillion of investable assets, there can only be one of us. Nobody meant it, but just that question. You're right, okay, all right, you can only have one for women. And it got to the point where with the venture capitalist, I said, I've recognized, I would go in, I'd say, how do you make your investing decisions? And if they said, oh, well, one of us champions it or two of us champions, I'm like, all right, let's meet. But if it was, we have to have consensus, I'm like, we, I, I'm not gonna waste your time. I can convince you in a meeting, I can get through your inherent biases and say, hey, it's half the population, blah, blah, da, 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 da. But if you get into that meeting, and it's probably if complexion is that of the traditional venture capital industry, it's all guys or one woman in a more typically in a more junior role at most of these firms. I can't equip you enough to go in and convince your entire set of partners. So let me just not waste your time or mine. That is incredible advice, by the way. I've never heard anyone say that. Isn't that amazing? I would say, Sally, I've raised 30 million, and I would say I wish I had heard that advice three yeah. years ago because it is spot on and exactly right. Yeah, you can. Yep. Com- I can convince anybody in a meeting because the business case is so strong. I can't equip you to convince everybody else. But the problem is it's hard to say no to a meeting. Take some intestinal fortitude to be like, my time is valuable. I'm not going to waste your time or mine on this. This is something Sam and I talk about a lot, and I think it's important to talk about with you since you've raised so much money. How many pitches will you do to close, say, like if you were raising a $10 million round, how many pitches do you think you'll do? I can't even Because I think most people have no idea. (laughs) It's, It's tens and tens and tens. And it is... You know, it is so many no's along the way for so many different reasons where they're not telling you the real reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you remember where you were the first time you got a term sheet? Yeah. In the uh, mouse infested little WeWork or what did WeWork wannabe (laughs) that we were in? Sure, I'll never forget it. (laughs) The other thing that I don't love is how we then portray it because it's sort of a game you have to play of oh my gosh we were oversubscribed and oh my gosh and I managed to do this and heels dancing backwards and whatever (laughs) and I think one of the things that hit most when we raised our last round is that we had an annotated press release and it was like we're announcing we're raising this much money and we had little pop-ups and the pop-ups were I think I feel like I ran a marathon I vomited and I broke my leg in the last mile like none of this was cute and fun this was horrible and no fun at all, and we we got it past the finish line. I would describe it as like the hardest, longest sales process yeah. you would ever go through because it is a sales process in a way. Constantly. It's like spreadsheets and calls and meetings. And We had one where one of the investors who was going to invest a sizable portion last round at the last minute, literally at the last minute, like literally the docs were due at 4 and at 3.47, they called and said, we're not going to invest because we see this risk here. And I'm like, oh, that risk, that, you know, that's, we, let me tell you how we mitigate, let me, like, we're not investing. And I ended up, Amy, sending his boss, who I had met with, an email over the weekend saying, look, 
I'm just going to call it, this is gendered. Wow. That you have spent all this time on these risks that are infinitesimal. Let mm-hmm. me tell you about the upside. And by the way, here's a piece of research I'm linking to that says that when venture capital investors invest in men, two-thirds of their questions are about the upside. For women, two-thirds are about the downside. And when you focus on the downside, you don't make the investment. And so here's this risk you've zeroed in on. We've mitigated it. The senior guy came back and he's like, you're right. And they they invested in us. Well, you are right. Like the science shows that you are right. It's very clear. And so that's amazing that you did that. I think it takes takes a lot of courage. Well, my co-founder was like, don't do that. You know, like, I'm like, what's my downside? They're going to invest zero. What are they going to do? Like, make me give them money? Like, I have no downside here. That's right. But I think that fear of speaking up happens all the time. I'm in the middle of finishing my seed round right now. So this conversation is actually giving me hives. It's like I'm having (laughs) triggers everywhere. But with my angel round, I had sent out all the docs. I was done. I was like celebrating basically. And then this one guy called me who was kind of the lead. And he's like, you know, I was thinking about it. And you have a lot of people in your life counting on you, which was code for you have three children. Right. right. And how are you going to handle this? And he ended up, you know, I sent him all these extra things he wanted and I thought if I was a guy with three kids he'd say yeah. oh good she has so much response he has right. so much responsibility he's gonna yeah. make this it's work. gonna be motivating and him even more I had yeah. to replace him and oh, I replaced God. him with all women people of color but like it, it was so in the end it ended up being great but these things scar you I mean it's definitely it's rough nobody tells you right nobody tells you The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. 
You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. And you also do have to come up with a plan of how to respond. Like I remember mm-hmm. in a pitch once, I had just had my third daughter. She was like three months old. And great pitch. It was our second meeting, and the investor said, I love your business. You've got a strong model. You have amazing traction, but I just have one more question. Do you think that you're capable of doing this you've Mm. got three kids one's a baby are you up for this and at that moment in time I was like you know what Sally I mean to your point I was like what do I have to lose and I said the fact that I built this company with three babies while pregnant means I can do anything yeah and I just left it there He didn't invest, but I'm glad I said it, and I will always say that. Sally, let's talk about your life as a working mom. Mm -hmm. You were obviously an incredible success while you were raising kids at home. What was that like? So how did you divide and conquer with your husband? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to have a great partner, I think, or it makes it a lot easier if you have a great partner. And I didn't in my first marriage, and I do in what I hope is my last marriage. And there was. I mean, look, we, we had all the, I'm going, I'm going to be in L.A. on these dates. You can't travel, right? And happily, we, were, we both had the flexibility where we could say, okay, well, then I'm, I've got to go to Hong Kong. And so our rule was, we had a couple of rules. One was, would there be a parent at each event? We just wouldn't guarantee which parent. We took turns waking up in the middle of the night. When they screamed mommy, that meant parent of any gender. And we just tried to be kind to each other. And, you know, my other rule, and people don't like it when I say this. I don't know why this triggers people. But my rule was that I was trying to be excellent at work. Um, Not every day in every single thing, but I really wanted to have a big career. And that my, as as a mom, I was shooting for mediocre. Right there, middle of the road. I wasn't going to be the best home, although I make cookies all the time, but I wasn't going to be the best home bakiest mom around, but I wasn't going to hit them how, right there in the middle. How, how <laughs> would your grown kids rank you as a mom in hindsight? You'd have to ask them. I think, you know, we can, you know we've, got, we've all got stuff, but here's what I'll tell you. I love them with every fiber of my being. They love their parents with, yeah, they probably have some fibers left over because they're young, but they're both hard workers and they're both successful. I mean, they're both getting it done in their work, and they are raging feminists, both of them. 
So when I look and say, okay, you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I've shot for middle of the road because they have turned. I can tell you now, they've turned out okay. I, I now know. I know because they're old enough. We have a lot of preconceived notions about motherhood. I think before we become mothers, and you did quit. You quit Wall Street when yeah. you were pregnant. Yep. Why? Because I didn't think I could do the job and be a mom, and I felt sick and I felt tired. And I'd grown up in the South, and you stayed home with your kids. And it was only when I realized that that pit that we talked about at the beginning of my stomach was overtaking me and that it just wasn't good for any of us for me to be taking the excess energy I have of which there is so much and pouring it all into my son. I think they've benefited because they both had, you know, my son was unemployed for a little bit of time. And rather than me pouring everything into it, it was like, let's give him some space to figure this out as opposed to the, I got to you know, my ego is, is here with you. What are your kids doing today? I am very proud of them. My son is a writer for John Oliver's Last Week Tonight. And my daughter works at Edelman Intelligence as a, a research analyst there. I'm one proud mom. There were a lot of your peers who opted out of the workforce. Mm -hmm. What is their life like today now that the kids are out of the house in comparison to yours? Yeah, I, look, I think it. there's a moment of if you define yourself in a way and turn the page on that chapter, what's your purpose? What are you, you driving for? And so I went through a period when all of our kids went to college when I was hearing from my friends from college and business school of, well, can I get back in? And the answer is it's really tough. You're trying to go to a traditional corporate from working in the home for so many years. That is a tough transition to make particularly now, by the way, with the pandemic and so many folks who are unemployed. And one of the things I've realized, and Sam, I'm just going to take this in a different direction. One of the things <laughs> I've realized in my mature age is how much of my career was luck. I have been to the Fortune Most Powerful Women's Conference. I have been there year after year. I have answered all the questions about how I was successful. I have talked about my resilience and my grit and my growth mindset and not giving up. And I have got the spiel down. <laughs> and I recognize now that just as I was as smart as the guys at Solomon Brothers in 1987, 88, whatever, so, so many of my friends, my women friends who left the workforce were as smart as me and as hardworking and as gritty and as determined and as whatever. So I don't know if I've shared with you my baby turtle analogy, but again, I grew up in the South. And so down South, um, one night, a mother turtle will emerge from the ocean and she will go up into the dunes and up into the wild grasses and she'll lay her eggs and she'll leave. And some time passes and then one night, all the baby turtles hatch and they run for the ocean and they work hard and they're gritty and they're determined and they swerve and they go fast, but the seagulls are pecking at them and they peck and they peck and they peck and they peck. And, they peck. and this one flies away with this baby turtle and this one flies away with this baby turtle and this one. And some of the baby turtles make it to the water and some of the baby turtles are murdered as babies. The analogy here is my business school female women classmates and I are baby turtles and some of us made it and others worked for Matt Lauer, and others worked for Harvey Weinstein, and others worked for the creepy dude at XYZ Wall Street Firm. Even more worked for what I call Todd. And Todd is a super nice white dude, two daughters, wife, lovely, talks, you know, goes to the unconscious bias training, goes to the women's diversity group cocktail party, talks a big talk. He's middle manager. 
He promotes one person a year. He promoted Jim this year. Next year, he promotes Steve. And all of a sudden, you're about five years in, and this woke dude who says the right thing just never promotes anybody but himself. And he doesn't mean it. It's unconscious bias. He just likes these other people better than he likes you. And what really happened is that, yes, I was smart and driven and blah, blah, blah. I was a baby turtle who made it to the water. And I know too many of my friends who just didn't make it because they worked for the wrong person. That is the most depressing analogy yeah. <laughs> I can, I've I ever Todd. heard. I'm, I might just start crying at this point. But are things progressing? I mean, yeah. what, are things yeah. changing yes for the no. better? Is there anything good? Yes and no. So you, you let's look at different places, right? So the gender pay gap is slowly moving in the right direction. If you're a white woman, it's decades away from closing. If you're a black woman, it's 100 plus years away from closing. If you're a Latinx woman, it's 200 plus years away from closing. So it's getting a bit better. We also have the law of small numbers where, oh, look, we have the most female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies ever. It's like not that many. Right. Yeah. And so we do that whole thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when it's just like a like we don't even talk about it. It happens. The difference is that it is so much less expensive to start a business today than it was 20 years ago. Not easy. Not easy. But if you wanted to start a business 20 years ago, what you had to like open an, a plant and hire full time people, raise the money to go on ABC, NBC or CBS to advertise today. You can start a business in your kitchen if you've got the right idea. If you've got the right idea, you can get the idea out. Doesn't mean it's easy, but there are more options for people today than there were some number of years ago. By the way, we talk about raising venture money. Very small percent of companies raise venture money. It's mostly bootstrapped. So that's my little bit of hope that the right idea can be successful. I just wanted to ask you about being liked Mm -hmm. So you talked in the beginning about being picked last for a team. How important is it to you to be liked? Me? Not at all. I, I don't care. So what I have experienced in my life is what the research tells us, which is that when I have been successful, it's been shocking what a bitch I apparently turned into. That I would, I'm this, I've been the same person since I was 15. But when I was the CFO of City, the nasty articles written about me, and people cheering for me to be unsuccessful when I was running Merrill. I remember there was an article that, oh, I'm sitting on the top floor of a skyscraper with diamonds, you know, in a white dress, black tie. And I'm like, my God, it was like a tweed knockoff and a cubic zirconium. And then when I've been down, I've been all of a sudden this really likable person. So I don't care. What I'm focused on is helping women advance financially, economically. I don't care if you like me or not. You know, that's what my mission is, not to win a, you know, mislikable popularity contest. Who are your friends? Mm -hmm. yeah, what's actually nice is that I have women friends now that when I was working so hard on Wall Street for so many years, I mean, I, and the guys and I got along, but there just wasn't the time with the kids, et cetera, with my kids now launched. You know, I've got a group of women, mostly women, I would say, that have been through the wars. There's some number of us who we're all of a certain age and we've all got the scars and we're all incredibly supportive of each other. What is your morning routine? Wake up, pat the cat, and have coffee as quickly as possible. <laughs> what book are you reading? I'm actually reading, I read many simultaneous books all at once. I'm reading, and I never know the titles anymore because they're all on my Kindle. I'm reading sort of the series of fortunate events about how we all got here and the big luck. Um, and I'm reading a bunch of Tana French books as well. I love a murder mystery. 
I think that's it. And then I have several TV shows, obviously. What are they? Well, I'm making my way through Shit's Creek. Everybody tells me it's amazing. I haven't gotten to the amazing part yet. Oh, if you don't think it's amazing yet, you should stop. Okay. It doesn't get better. It's the same the whole time. Oh, good to All know. seven it didn't, seasons. It didn't do it for me, Sally, for yeah. what it's worth. <laughs> so our final question is going to be asked by Lou Burns, who in every episode shares the male perspective. And Lou has been listening. You three are funny. Oh, man. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, this this round, I have a question for all three of you. Mainly centered around one of the last comments that you made, Sally, because Amy asked, who are your friends? And you're like, that you actually have girlfriends. And growing up and being an adult, I, I started to see that kind of divide where women have more men friends and they say, I don't get along with other women. I, I'm not in the financial industry. But I started to see that as a norm. And I, I, I'm being a man. I don't understand it because I'm a friendly, outgoing, happy-go-lucky person. If you all could share with me the things that kind of create that friction between women and at LMS, yeah. do, you, do you guys cultivate a, um, a community where women are really working with other women so yeah. in total support of each other? Could you all touch on that topic? I love that question. So first of all, you're going to get me motoring again. When I was in big corporations... I didn't have a lot of female friends. At the time, I would have told you it was because there weren't a lot of other senior women. Right now, I would tell you that I got brainwashed, as did my entire generation of women senior executives, who, that we were competing with each other to get that seat at the table. I wasn't competing with Joe or Jim or Bob. I was competing with Susie because there was one seat at the table. It wasn't knives out, but it definitely was a let me just side-eye you a little bit. And we were taught that. And I'd say men learned quite the opposite. Men learned that there's power in numbers and there's power in the pack and they promote each other, they talk each other up, they put each other on the board, they do business together. And we were sort of taught that success is an individual sport. All these books that are published about how you can be successful and we sort of internalized it and we're making the journey on our own whereas the guys were making the journey together. And what I love about this stage of my life and I love about being friends with folks like Sam and Amy is that we actually recognize that our success not only doesn't it take away from another woman, it adds. And that particularly for those of us who are raising outside venture money, for example, it's better if more women are raising more money because then people are like, oh, yeah, I've got seven other examples as opposed to no examples. And so... What is a revelation of this stage of my career is that we've gone from feeling, being told we should compete and feeling like we have to compete to this openness to let me try to help you be more successful because it's good for everybody. I really appreciate that. And I personally think, Lou, my female friends are very, very important to me. I learned about 10 years ago that friends didn't have to be like the moms from school or just my college friends. But the women I met that were my equals or people that I met at conferences, at different work events, that we could actually support each other from afar as well. And Sally and Amy came into my life in that way. And so for me, I feel like I have the friends that are in proximity and the friends from my history and then my work peers that I feel very, very connected to. My best friends have always been women, and I'm really fortunate to be surrounded by so many amazing women, friends from kindergarten, friends from law school, and then lately getting to meet women like Sally and Sam and just create this amazing ecosystem where we're all rising together is pretty incredible. 
So it's funny, Amy, I happen to have had one of those mornings where I felt like the Lone Ranger in battle against so many sexist things. And I'll just share with you that one of them this morning, I, I was supposed to speak on this diversity panel coming up in my very sexist industry, which I've talked to you about. And they sent me the artwork for it. And it's a diversity panel. And it was a a, a sea of bald men with one of them had a mosaic on his head. I don't and believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said something to them because I was like, this is a, seems a little off brand if you're trying to, to market a diversity event. And so they sent back new artwork and Amy, I can't make this up, but it was a, 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 a bunch of bowling pins and one of the bowling pins, they put a hair squiggly on with lipstick. No, no, that didn't happen. But you know what? That sounds like some of the stories that Sally told us. Yeah, it really does. And it's in 2020. And so I just, after that and this other board meeting that was just really daunting today, I just felt like I'm exhausted fighting and I just wish someone else would be by my side fighting with me. And I really felt like Sally is the leader of our army. I think that is a great position to put her in. We want to thank our production team at Large Media, L-A-R-J Media, as well as our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. This podcast is powered by my company, Park Place Payments, which you can find at parkplacepayments.com, and Amy's company, The Riveter, which you can find at theriveter.co. We would love to hear from you, especially on our YouTube channel. We post three times a week little vignettes of Amy and I gabbing about the day's events and our lives as working moms. And you can also reach us on our social media channels. Thanks for listening. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. 
Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.